All right, so we're in a series on Job. If you have your Bible, open up to Job 1.1. And uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's okay. You'll see it here on the screen in just a moment. Um, so Job is part of what's called the wisdom literature of the Bible. We talked last week about kind of an overview of the book of Job. We talked about how uh, Job is this character in the Bible who's sort of this, he's the archetype. He's like the model of somebody who suffers innocently, of a, a righteous sufferer who didn't do anything wrong through no fault of his own. All sorts of crazy stuff happens to him. And what we talked last week about was how Job doesn't give us answers, but it does give us wisdom. How many of you were here last week for that? And that's important here to, to, to set the stage for where we're going because I can't promise that, that I'll give you all the answers for the storms of your life, but I can promise that God gives us wisdom to navigate all that we walk through. Now, to give you some context here, the book of Job actually happens very early in the timeline of the Bible, even though it's sort of somewhere in the middle of your Bible. Job actually happens probably somewhere in the middle of Genesis, there's actually no mention of Israel, the people, or the land. So most scholars believe it actually happened sometime during the timeline of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sort of in this early time frame before Israel became what we know it to be in the Old Testament. So, so here we have Job, and he's this, this righteous guy. So we're going to pick up here in Job 1.1 in the very beginning. It says, There was a man in the country of Uz named Job. He was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. His estate included 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large number of servants. Job was the greatest man among all the people of the East. How many of you want that Job anointing? Come on now. We want the Job 1-1 anointing, don't we? His sons used to take turns having banquets at their homes. They would send an invitation to their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And whenever a round of banqueting was over, Job would send for his children and purify them, rising early in the morning to offer burnt offerings for all of them. For Job thought, Perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. All right, so here we have Job, this righteous guy. Uh, as I was studying, I came across this idea that I never knew before. Turns out Job's name means persecuted. Did you know that? So it turns out we can actually blame all of Job's troubles on his parents for naming him persecuted. Turns out that's actually the answer to all of Job's suffering after all. Uh, maybe just a little bit of a tip, don't name your child persecuted, and maybe things will go better for them. It's crazy. So this guy is righteous. It says he's a man of complete integrity. And you can tell Job is this rich man. Job has a rich family life. He has 10 kids. Anybody got 10 kids out there? Listen, come on, you'll hear me talk about our organic church growth strategy here. We, we're all about having babies here. But Job had ten, seven sons, three daughters. They would actually take turns 
having banquets at their houses, and they'd all go around and have meals. I mean, who wouldn't want to be part of that family, right? This rich family life. We see Job is also wealthy financially. You see, back then, they didn't, they didn't have banks. They didn't have even dollar bills, paper currency. Back then, your money was a little bit hairier and a little bit smellier. And Job had thousands of these animals, right? He had thousands of sheep and goats, thousands of camels. In fact, anybody today who had that many animals would be a very wealthy person. Have you ever tried to buy an animal? It's an absurd amount of money. Imagine having 7,000 sheep and goats, 3,000 camels, right? Job has it all. He's got this, this prosperous business life. We can, we can assume that Job was pretty prosperous in his physical health as well because we know that he loses it pretty soon here in the story. So Job's probably physically healthy as well. Now, of course, more than all of this, Job, you see, has a rich spiritual life as well. It says that he's a man of complete integrity, that he feared the Lord, he turned away from evil. And it said that after every round of banqueting, Job would gather all of his children and he would pray for them. He would make sacrifices for them. And I love that it says here in verse 6, Job says, or it's verse 5, perhaps my children have sinned. Job doesn't even know if his kids sinned. And he's like, maybe they did. We're just going to pray anyways. Maybe they did. We're just going to sacrifice anyways. Like that's the kind of guy that Job is. That's the kind of parent that I want to be, right? I'm praying for my kids. I'm, I'm standing in the gap for my kids. This is Job. Incredible man. And so today I want to talk to you about Job as a man of righteousness, And the reason that Job is this profound model for all of us today is that for the bulk of the book of Job, it's 42 chapters. For the vast majority of it, Job is this model of righteous suffering. He's a guy who loses it all, and we'll get to that next week, and we'll talk about his suffering next week. But but what I want to show you here today is that Job is a man of integrity, when he has it all together as well. And here's why that's so fascinating to me. Because they say that trials, they say that suffering and pain reveal who you really are. Have you ever heard that before? Right? That when you, when you go through something, it shows what you're really made of. And I think that's true. But I think the opposite is also true. That if you want to see what someone's really made of, give them success. Give them prosperity. Because you see, those things will reveal who you really are as much as suffering does. In fact, in my life, what I've seen, some people will say, well, you know, in suffering, sometimes people turn away from God, and I have seen that. But more often than not, actually what I've seen is that people in suffering run to God more than they ever have before. You know why? Because when you're suffering, you know you need God. When you're suffering, you don't know how you're going to make it through the day. When you're suffering, you're, you're desperate. In fact, if anything in my life, I've seen more people turn from God in their prosperity than I have in their sorrow. And you see, what Job is a model of is not just righteous suffering, but righteous prosperity. That he had everything. He was the greatest man in the whole land. He had all the money. He was healthy, a rich family life. And in the midst of all of that, those things did not entice his heart away from the Lord. What a beautiful picture. 
So I want to read to you here a couple passages in Job 31. And if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I want to talk to you about Job's righteousness. I want to talk to you about Job's righteousness. So here in Job 31, you can read through the whole thing sometime. What Job does is basically Job's defending himself from his friends. Maybe like Job's friends, you're thinking all of this bad stuff happened to Job because deep down, you know, nobody's really that good, right? We know how people are who look good on the outside. Job probably had some hidden dirt. He probably had some stuff that was the root cause of all of his suffering. And Job here in Job 31, he's defending himself to his friends. And he's like, look, if I've done this stuff, then sure, let bad things happen to me. If I've been unfaithful to my wife, if I've worshipped other gods, if I've not been honest, if I haven't taken care of others. And he goes through this whole thing. So I want to walk through some of what Job says about his righteousness. So we're going to start here in verse 1. Job starts by defending himself. And he says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman. So he's talking about sexual purity. He says, continuing on in verse 12, he says, sexual sin, he says, it's a fire that consumes down to Abaddon. That's a Hebrew word for the pit or the place of destruction. He says, it would destroy my entire harvest. So, so here's the thing about Job, and maybe you're hearing a sermon here about Job's righteousness. And you can look out on our world and you can see our world is anything but righteous. Am I right? We live in a world that not only tolerates sin, but celebrates sin. A world where God's righteous standard is frowned upon and mocked. And Job here, he starts by saying that he's a man of complete purity. Job is a man who doesn't give himself to a woman who's not his wife. And you see, in, in the world that we live in today, sexual sin is one of the, the chief sins of our culture. It's a world that is fully corrupted by the desires of this world, corrupted by all these different kinds of things. And yet Job says that he's set apart. Job says that he's not going to engage in the things that the people around him were engaged in because he was righteous. Job was set apart. And you see, if you're, you're older in this room, chances are you were blessed to be part of a generation where God's sexual standard was the norm. You were blessed to be part of that for a time. It turns out that God's sexual ethic is no longer popular. But guess what? It's not, it, there's been times in the past where it wasn't popular before, and the church is still here. And so we have a choice to either bow down to the attitudes of the culture or to maintain truthfulness to the Word of God. Sex that's outside of marriage, adultery, pornography that's in your pocket with a few clicks of your phone, same-sex marriage, and we can talk about all these things, and you can look out at people out there, but what I want to challenge you with here with Job's righteousness is that if anybody's honest in this room, and you know the words of Jesus, you would know that turns out you and I probably don't measure up so well either. Jesus said, if you even look at someone with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. 
a rough standard, Job. It's a rough standard, Jesus. And I love what Job says here. He says that it's like a fire that consumes your field. It's a fire that consumes your harvest. You know what fire does? Fire spreads. And you see, the things that you and I want to keep in the dark, Job says they don't stay there. That it's a fire that spreads. And how many of us are where we are today because that fire spread? Infidelity, maybe between your parents and they got divorced, or between a spouse who betrayed you, or between a leader who messed up and it impacted your life, right? It's a, it's a fire that spreads. It's a fire that destroys. And Job said it destroys all the way down to the grave. Job goes on to say in verse 5, he says, if, if I've walked in falsehood, or my feet have rushed into deceit. Let God weigh me on accurate scales, and he will recognize my integrity. Job, someone, didn't give in to falsehood or deceit. He didn't cut corners for personal gain. He didn't try to work his way around and tell a few white lies to make himself look better. He was a man of full honesty, full integrity in all of his dealings, and all of his business dealings and all of his relationships. He's somebody that wouldn't lie. He told the truth. He was a, a man of honesty. Continuing on here, verse 24, and I know we're skipping around a little bit. Job said, if I placed my confidence in gold or called fine gold my trust, if I've rejoiced because my wealth is great or because my own hand has acquired so much, if I have gazed at the sun when it was shining, or at the moon moving in splendor, so that my heart was secretly enticed and I threw them a kiss. This would be an iniquity deserving punishment, for I would have denied God above. So here Job talks about greed. He says, if my heart went after all of the, the money that I had gained, and now you and I know wealth is not inherently evil. Job was very wealthy, and yet the Bible says he was a man of complete integrity. So it's not, it's not the money that's the sin, but he said, if my heart went after those things, if my delight was in those things, if my trust was in those things. I heard a pastor say one time, he said, nobody thinks they're greedy. And he said, you know how I know why? He said, as a pastor, I've heard people confess all kinds of wild sins to me. I've heard people confess all kinds of crazy violence I've heard people confess all kinds of sexual sin, lying, stealing, cheating, all kinds of crazy stuff. He said, I've never had one person tell me that they thought they were greedy. See, greed deceives us, right? Because money itself is not inherently bad. But the question is, where is your trust? Where is your confidence? Job talks here about the idols of this world. He said, if I, if I saw the sun or the moon and threw them a kiss. Now, of course, no one today is bowing down to the sun or moon, but what Job is talking about is not giving himself to the false gods of this world, not giving himself to the idols of this world, that Job is set apart for God alone. Job is set apart for the purposes of God, that he won't give in to the idols of this culture. He won't give in to the idols of his world. That Job was someone who said, it doesn't matter if everyone else around me goes after false gods. I'm going to give myself to Yahweh alone. I'm going to give myself to the the Lord alone. Job was set apart. Now here, I want to 
I want to switch gears here because I want you to see what Job does in verse 13. Job here begins to talk about what we would call justice, and we sang about it, and our scripture reading was about it. Here's what Job says in verse 13. If I have dismissed the case of my male or female servants when they made a complaint against me, what could I do when God stands up to judge? How should I answer when he calls me to account? Did not the one who made me in the womb also make them? Did not the same God form us both in the womb? If I have refused the wishes of the poor or let the widow's eyes go blind, if I've eaten my few crumbs alone without letting the fatherless eat any of it. For from my youth, I raised him as a father. And since the day I was born, I guided the widow. If I have seen anyone dying for lack of clothing or a needy person without a cloak, and he, he goes on in this same way. Now, now here's what I love about this. This is in the same passage where Job is talking about his righteousness. And here's what I like about this. In the Bible, in the prophets, and in Job here in particular, righteousness is not just about you and I having personal purity not to engage with certain sins. The Bible's definition of righteousness is much bigger than that. Righteousness is not just about you and I avoiding some bad things. It's also about working for justice for those who are in need. So here's what, here's what this means, that the righteousness, if you're really going to be righteous, it's also about making sure your neighbor's not hungry. It's also about making sure that widow in your neighborhood is taken care of. It's also about making sure the orphan has a place to go. And you see, in the church today, we've separated holiness on one side and justice on the other side. And you'll find Christians who are really big on the holiness stuff, and they don't know about that justice stuff too much. And you'll find Christians on the other side who are really big into justice and taking care of the oppressed and taking care of those in need, but they're not so big on that holiness stuff. And what the Bible tells us is that righteousness is like a two-sided coin. And here's the two sides, love for God and love for neighbor. That's the whole law of God. And, and you see, God's not interested in all of our personal purity if the immigrant, the poor, and the widow are neglected. He's not. And listen, he's not interested in all of our justice if we're full of sin and idols inside. You see, what Job is, Job brings the two together, that he is both holy and just, love for God and love for neighbor. This is what righteousness is before God. And when you read through the Bible, when you read through the Old Testament prophets, they're not only telling Israel to get rid of their sin, they're telling them to feed the hungry. They're telling them that you want to know where God is, you want to know whose side God is on, God is on the side of the immigrant. He's on the side of the orphan. He's on the side of the widow. Jesus told a story one time. He said, on the day when the Son of Man comes and sits on his glorious throne, he will gather all nations before him. And it says that he'll separate the sheep from the goats. He'll separate the righteous and the wicked. And he says he'll say to those sheep on his right, the righteous, he says, come into my kingdom because you fed the hungry. You visited those in prison. You 
You clothed me when I was naked. You took care of me when I was sick. And they're going to say, Lord, when do we see you hungry? When do we see you naked? When do we see you in prison? And he said, when you did that for the least of these, you did it for me. Here's what that means. It means when you feed the hungry, you're not just feeding the hungry, you're feeding God. When you bring the orphan into your home, you're not just taking care of orphans, you're taking care of God. When you take care of the widow and the immigrant, this is, this is what Job is. Job is this picture of righteousness. He's this picture of one who fully loves God and who fully loves neighbor. Now, I want to tell you this here. When you're, when you're hearing a message like this, Job is this profoundly inspiring ideal, is he not? Who doesn't want to be like Job, right? And at the same time, if you're honest, you're thinking, this is kind of a lot. I don't think I can live up to this. That as much as Job is this beautiful ideal, he's also this crushing weight that I know I can never live up to. That deep down, if I'm honest, I would tell you that I haven't fully loved God. I haven't fully loved my neighbor. The Job here, he says, I made a covenant with my eyes to not look upon a woman. I've not been greedy. I've not looked to the sun and moon. I've not walked in falsehood. I've, I've fed the hungry. I've, I've taken care of the fatherless. I made the widow's heart rejoice. How, how many of us could say that we've, we've done all of that perfectly? And so what I want to do here and what I really want to tell you here as we try to land this plane is that not only is Job righteous, but I want you to see that Job also uses his righteousness for others. And here's what I mean. So we read in Job 1 that his kids would have these banquets, these feasts, and after a round of banqueting, Job would gather his kids together and purify them. Here's what I want you to see. Not only is Job righteous, he uses his righteousness to stand in the gap for those who are not as righteous as he is. We see this also in Job 42 at the very end of the book. What happens is Job's friends for 40 chapters are pretty much jerks. The whole time they're like, hey Job, you're sinful, that's why this happened, but don't worry, God likes to forgive sinners. And Job's like, actually I didn't do anything wrong. And at the end of the story, God is mad at Job's friends. And you know what Job does? He doesn't say, I told you guys, get out of here. Some friends you are. You know what Job does? Job 42, verse 8. God tells them, this is the friends, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer a burnt offering for yourselves. Then my servant Job will pray for you and I will accept his prayer and not deal with you as your folly deserves. For you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. That's a tough one, right? Here's what I love about Job. Not only is Job righteous, he uses his righteousness to stand in the gap for sinners. And here's why that's really good news. The Bible is not a story where God raises up a bunch of moral examples who better do the right thing and you better do the right thing or else. The Bible is a story 
of a God who always raises up a righteous priest to save sinners. Job is a priest. He's not just righteous for himself. He's righteous for others. He's righteous for those like his kids who maybe have cursed God in their hearts. He's righteous for his friends who turned against them. And you see the the promise of the book of Job is not just this impossible standard that maybe if you're good enough like Job, you can make a covenant with your eyes and you won't worship false gods and you won't give in to greed and you'll work for justice in your community. But maybe if you're like me, you know you're not perfectly righteous. And the beauty of a story like Job is not just that there's a righteous standard, it's that there's a righteous priest who stands in the gap for sinners. There was a time in Israel's history where it was so incredibly wicked. And there's this fascinating verse in the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 14, 14. God says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in Israel, they would rescue only themselves by their righteousness. There's this moment in Israel's history where they're so wicked They're so deceitful. They're so full of sin. They failed to love God. They failed to love their neighbor. And Noah, remember, Noah was the most righteous guy on the whole planet in his generation. That's that's pretty much up there, right? Daniel, faithful to God in the midst of Babylon, full of the idols. Job, one of the greatest men of his generation. And the thing is, these three guys, as righteous as they were, they weren't righteous enough to save Israel in that moment. And here's what I love about the Bible, is that it promises us that there's a better priest coming. There's a better righteousness coming. And there's a priest that's coming who's more righteous than Job. Because as good as Job is on his best day, he's still a fallen human being. And what the Bible promises us is that there's a a better Job that's coming, a better priest that's coming, and he's coming to save sinners. Now, you guys know, you've been here long enough to know the whole Bible is all about Jesus. You can see where I'm going with this a mile away. Who is that great high priest but Jesus, the Son of God? Hebrews 4 says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we can receive mercy and grace to help us in time of need. What am, I, what am I telling you with all this? I'm telling you that the story of Job is not just about a moral example. Job is a foreshadowing of the true and better Job that was to come. And his priesthood never fails. His priesthood never falters. And it's not just enough to save a few family and friends. Jesus Christ, the great high priest of God, has liberated the nations with his righteousness. That when we were wicked, he was holy. When we were sinful, he was righteous. And you see, that's what the book of Job is all about. I'm not Job in the story. I'm the messed up friend. That's who your pastor is. I'm sorry. 
I'm the messed up friend that sinned against God and man. But God raised up a Job in my place. God raised up a righteous one in my place. And he wasn't only righteous for himself. He was righteous for me. He was righteous for you. And I want to tell you today, maybe you're here and you're like, Joey, I don't measure up to Job's standard. I don't measure up to God's law. Guess what? No one does. And the story of the Bible is that God has provided a priest in your place. And he's righteous enough for both of you. I'm the messed up friend in the story. And when I read Job, yes, we should try to emulate Job's example. But you and I on our best day will never do it. On our best day will never be good enough. And Job tells me that God raises up a righteous priest for messed up sinners like me. Wherever you're at today, some of you, you're not following God and you think it's because you're not good enough. Guess what? No one is. Welcome to the club. We're the Job's Friends Club. The bunch of fools who sinned against God and man. And yet Job 42 says that when Job stands in the gap, God doesn't treat them as their sins deserve. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That I don't get what my sins deserve because a priest came. A righteous one came. 